Hi, everybody, and welcome to All This in the Oscars 2, AwardsDaily.com's infrequent podcast on the Oscar race. My name is Sasha Stone. I run the website AwardsDaily.com. <laughs> and I'm here with our editors, Ryan Adams, Clarence Moy, and Mark Johnson. Hello, guys. Hello. 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 Hello there. This Hi. is our last podcast of the closing out the merciless agonizing <laughs> unending <laughs> 2020 oscar season which lasted longer than any oscar season in history um and we are leaving on a little bit of a bittersweet note it was kind of a weird ceremony and sort of a strange oscars in general and i think people are trying to piece things back together and sort of make sense of it all and you know it, it's always a thing when the consensus sort of decides what the race is going to be. And, and I, I do this a lot, so I'm not saying other people do it and I don't, but you know, you sort of get comfortable with a scenario you think will play out. And so we, we tend to look at it like the Oscars, all of us as, you know, predictors who want to get it right. Um, and also people who care about the movies in the race as predictors, I had a really bad night. <laughs> So when that happens, like you just feel terrible about everything. Like even if it doesn't go the way you want it to, if your predictions are right, you tend to walk away feeling pretty good. You know, do you guys agree with that? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel OK. <laughs> How did you do? There really weren't that many categories that really that I that bothered me that 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 were a surprise. I mean, there were a lot of surprises, but there was really only one surprise that that I wish had not surprised me so much, yeah. but for best actors. But other than that, you know, those kind of things happen every year. And I roll with it really well because for me, especially, I'm not interested in, I don't even know, ever know what my score is, how many I got right. I never count up. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not, I'm, that's, that's just not my thing. Uh, you, I'm not, I'm not especially good at it. And so I don't try to play that game. I, I don't play games. I'm not good at, so, you know, period. But I understand that, that a lot of, uh, people are and that you guys are um and that's and i'm sorry that you didn't have uh, you know it's not not one of our best years for for you know getting things correct but it's correct is like just a funny concept to me i mean what it could cause what it amounts to is guessing what nine thousand people are going to do and i am not that, that seems for one one thing sort of impossible although a lot of people are really good at it but also a little bit for me just not very interesting for me to try to do myself mm. yeah I, I totally get that i get that i just i i have the kind of ego that the like likes to be right <laughs> i hate it but it's I'm, true i'm the same way i'm very competitive like yeah. I'm, I'm a good loser like i i will i will look at it this way um i had missed six and when i went back you know, a lot of times when I when I miss X amount, I I like to go back and say, what 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 did I miss, and and sh what sh what did what should I have seen coming to to get those right? And when I look at the six that I missed, I don't regret any of the picks. It was mm -hmm. there were there were six that I'm comfortable being wrong about, um, and in a couple cases like song. Um, or Doc Short, it was one of the ones that I had like fourth or fifth on my list of the five. So I wasn't even like the number two or heck, Frances McDormand. I put her fourth because yep. I just didn't think they'd give her a third. I thought it would go to a person of color, Viola or Andra, one of the two. 
and my three was Carrie. So, you know, I was never going to pick Francis. So missing right. that one wasn't like a hindsight thing. Like it oftentimes is. That's where it kills me. I know. Uh-huh. And that's where it did kill me this time because I had so many conversations with people about the father and my conversations were always good, something like this. And I think I even talked to you guys about it. I think it's on the last podcast, which is I say, I'm not going to pick the father because I don't think it's going to win the lone screenplay. So it's going to have to win best actor too. But I don't think it's going to win best actor because they're not going to do that to Chadwick Boseman or Chadwick Boseman's widow. So there's no way that's happening. So I'm not going to pick the father. But <laughs> someone actually said to me, you should do it. Pick the father and pick Anthony Hopkins. And so if I have only one regret, it's probably that is that mm-hmm. I didn't just follow that line of thinking and just go for it for the hell of it. Um, so, that, and Clarence actually did do that. <laughs> so. No, I, I didn't ultimately end up predicting him. Oh, I, oh, uh, oh. I, I, I had every rationale and, and every idea why, I mean, you know, you Chadwick Boseman really had the most unfortunate thing going for you, for him in that number one, he gave a, a tremendous performance. That's great. But number two, you know, he passed away and that's, that's, right. you know, and that's terrible. But if you look at Anthony Hopkins, he's in a film that is a best picture nominee. Mm-hmm. He won BAFTA. There's, there's a clear push in the late breaking, um, aspects of this race you know he was benefiting from the length of the race and not necessarily Chadwick Boseman if this had been in February Chadwick Boseman would have won right I agree mm-hmm. with that I think so too also um just the nature of the roles um um my Rainey's Black Bottom is an ensemble piece right. right everyone is supporting basically although they did decide who to put in lead and on the other hand the father is a is a, um is all Anthony Hopkins. He's in virtually every minute of the movie. Is about he's in it, and it would it would be, it's it's all it, it revolves around him, right. and so that's right. another thing I think people do take into consideration, and that may have helped Francis McDormand too. One of the most disgusting things I've seen on Twitter today is a is a preponderance of people being mad at Anthony Hopkins as if he controlled Why? this. I don't understand. And, right. It's it's disgusting because it he has nothing to do with it. He is, this is almost why I didn't want him to win because I didn't want him to have the quote unquote stink of being the one that beat Chadwick Boseman. Right. Um, but they both gave career best performances. Mm-hmm. What the were father, they saying? My father wrapped filming in 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 May or June of 2019. So that would have to be some pretty diabolical planning to usurp Chadwick Boseman. 10 months before he died with a movie that all you're trying to do when you, when they made the father is try to make the best movie that they could. And they all did. And so that's, that's why it's so ridiculous to me that people would think that, Oh, the father, they made the father real quick in order to come in and swoop and, and steal the Oscar away from Chadwick when the movie was made two and a half years ago. It we, premiered at Sundance last year. <laughs> like, but also he he was so sweet. He didn't he didn't campaign yeah. at all for that award. No, he, he stayed no, completely out of sight. He didn't even want it. He never showed up anywhere. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. compare that to people who were competing against um, Viola Davis. They were very actively competing against her. Um, and so, you know, I thought he was classy. I, you know, I've already put out my theory as to why I think that they both won. And, you know, I do think that there was, my friend told me that they th- he thought that there was a little bit of defiance in the BAFTA vote. And I agree with that. And I think that there, I don't think it means that they don't deserve it, but I do think it means that the voters didn't want to be told what to vote for. 
and they were mm-hmm. annoyed by that. And so they stuck to it. Um, and I also think there was vote splitting going on at the Oscars. I mean, how do you get a category where there's Chadwick Boseman, Riz Ahmed, and Anthony Hopkins and not get vote splitting? And yeah, same with the sure. actress race. You had, you mm-hmm. know, Carrie Mulligan and Andrew Day and Viola Davis. They were all splitting up the vote. So somehow the BAFTA contingent stayed strong and held on. And that's another thing that I missed that I'm sorry that I didn't think about. Um, as to people who keep saying that they thought it was Francis McDormand all along, like Scott Feinberg and people like that, I do not get that at uh, all. I never yeah. once thought that she would win this award. Um, I thought it was all about Chloe Zhao. I thought she was going to win screenplay, maybe editing. You know, I mm-hmm. thought that that's who they were trying to reward, but come to find, no, it's Francis McDormand is the one that they wanted to reward for this. They're, it's almost like they're giving her credit for the movie. Mm-hmm. She is the producer, after all. You know. mm-hmm. And something I said I, was, I said in the comments today, the same way that when uh, an actor, the, the actors are always love it when, when, when one of their star actors branches out to yes. become a director. Absolutely. They love it when Robert Redford or, or um, uh, Kevin Costner or whatever, anybody that wants to make a movie that was an actor is like, oh my gosh, yeah. he did it. Now we can all do it. If he did it, we can too. Absolutely. And so, there, and so it's like, there's a little bit of what I said in the comments, there's a little bit like a uh, Partly, you go girl uh, factor in there. They're just so proud of her that she is not. She's absolutely out there creating roles for herself instead of just waiting yes. for people to give her roles. Yes, and the actors love that. Right, and they they also really like um, authentic people. Like they loved Catherine Hepburn, who never gave them the time of day, who treated them with <laughs> disdain, and they gave her four Oscars. Like, and I think they like that Frances McDormand is above a lot of that Hollywood schmoozing. She doesn't do any plastic surgery on her face. She's authentically herself. You know, mm-hmm. like it or not, it's your choice. You know, and I think they respond to that. They like it. They like that she's like that. You know, it's so interesting that that she is now seen as the heir apparent to Catherine Hepburn over Meryl Street. It's so weird. It's so yeah. weird. Uh, that is yeah. the part I can't wrap my head around. Why yeah. would you give her no. two Oscars when you could give Viola one? Like, I know. Yeah. That's what I don't And care. in a way, there is a similarity between Frances McDormand and Catherine Hepburn in that they all, they were best, they, you know, they were most reliable in, in a performance when they were playing a variation of their own yes, persona. Yes, absolutely you know? right, yeah. And whereas Meryl is a chameleon, she can do anything, she can become anyone and become almost unrecognizable. But uh, but Catherine Hepburn and Frances McDormand both are, are, are doing, playing characters who are in some ways a little bit like them. Yes, like mm-hmm. grumpy women, you know. Her, all of her characters yeah. are the same kind of like grumpy, no bullshit, tough type of female like she is you know like when chloe zhao said here's fern i'm not fern i'm fran (laughs) she was so so mad i mean even when catherine hebron was eleanor of aquitaine even she's when she's playing a queen she's still very much catherine hebron in her in her mannerisms and her vocalizations and everything she is still i mean that movie itself i love it because it's so anachronistic the dialogue and everything is like not at all what people would be saying 300 400 years ago but that's part of its charm and she just she was perfect for that role you know in lion and winter i'm talking about mm-hmm. yeah and um yeah no she's great and she's a lion you know and, and you're right you're so yeah. right about that ryan that's exactly what it is because they're able to sort of you know manifest this this person this 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 character who is francis mcdormand right so she's not all these different mm-hmm. characters she's francis mcdormand and same with katherine hepburn you're so right about that 
and so they can live through that. Um, <clears throat> so are we going to like, I mean, there was a thing in the movie in, in uh, Nomadland where she says she cut her own hair. And, and last <laughs> night she looked like she cut her own hair for the Oscars. Mm-hmm. She really looked like well, she gave herself a haircut. I mean, not to be <laughs> and mean. That's just or her. Mean. That's just the way she is. That's fine. I mean, I, I'm not. I, I said I'm, I was afraid when I said that in the comments last night. I was really. It was really late, like three o'clock in the morning. I thought, well, I'm going to get beat up for this about you know talking about her appearance. But it's fine with me if that's the way she wants to. If that's the look she's going after, all power to her. I don't have any problem with it. But it is unique among actresses. Well, the thing about her is she suffers no fools. So you could say that to her and she'd just give you like a stern talking to, you know, right on oh, the spot. Mm-hmm. So she's... <laughs> one of my favorite things on Twitter <laughs> the past couple of days or the past few hours since she won are people saying things like, uh, you know, Francis McDormand beat me up at a gas station one night. <laughs> you know, or, or Francis, Francis McDormand is always mad at me. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean... I, I I will never look at her and not think about her as the mother in uh, Almost Famous. Oh right, oh, that's yeah. another great yeah. performance of hers. Yeah, yeah, and that is. I feel like that is legitimately her. Like I, she was clearly acting, but I feel like that is so integra- integrally tied into her DNA as a person. Yeah. Like that, I just and it's uh, funny, you know, the people are. I'm, I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you, Sasha. No, this will okay. be the last time I do it. But but the, the people are showing the the uh, photo montage of her three. Uh, acting awards that she's won and the la- the most recent two she looks like herself but the one where she won for Fargo she's kind of dolled up for like she's going to the prom and it looks really strange she looks really unusual to be so so fixed up and so primpy because that's not her well if right? you want to see a trip watch Mississippi Burning where she plays the wife in the uh, beauty parlor she plays a southern mm. wife and, you know, has gets to flirt with Gene Hackman, who's like the hottest oh, man. Oh, right. Ever. Yeah, yeah. And so it's a, it's a pretty brutal movie, of course. But um, but she is is great in that. She wears a lot of makeup. and I mean, she's, you know, she's a different Frances McDormand. Like, I, I guess, you know, she transitioned into, you know, this kind of lioness that she is now. But but, you know, you think mm-hmm. about that scene in Fargo where she's sitting on the on the thing and and that, that guy, <laughs> he sits next to her. <laughs> he goes, I'm going to sit next to you. Is that OK? And she's like, no, sit over there. I prefer <laughs> that. Like she tells him just yeah, to get right. over the other side. Like, <laughs> like that's her, you know, and, and same with like her character in Nomadland. Like she when she goes to visit the baby, like she's just a She's not a very welcoming, warm, nice person in that movie. She's very, uh, you know, closed off and kind of cruel. And so that was my main reasoning as to why I didn't think she was going to win, because I just didn't think she was a very likable character. They were awarding her because they respect her and they like what she did and they like the movie and they're crediting her with the movie more than even uh, Chloe, which is odd. But I guess it's because she kind of spearheaded it, right? She's the one who Mm -hmm. got the book Mm -hmm. and... um, so who knows what was going on behind the scenes? You know, who knows Searchlight, how they played that with the BAFTA voters and the Oscar voters in terms of access to Frances McDormand talking to her and stuff. And I imagine if you do that and you talk to her, you're going to like what she says because she's so funny and charismatic in person um, when she's not playing one of those characters, you know. So that's the kind of stuff you can't really know. But but um, a person that I know who shall remain nameless was telling me all year that Frances McDormand was going to win. And I just kept saying, you're crazy. There's no way she's going to win for that. And they were right. So, mm. well, And, you know, I think Clarence, you've said the same thing. 
we both we can all agree how great she was in Nomadland. There's no, there's just no doubt that she's. Uh, that's a perfect role for her, and she was perfect in it. But at the same time, we can say that, and also I can honestly say that she's my least favorite mm-hmm. performance of the five. Mm-hmm. And and maybe it's you, Sasha, who said that. I mean, we had four four performances that we liked better than hers. Right. And so that's always disturbing when it's like the least favorite nominee is the one who wins. It is. That throws me. You know, it it's a, yeah. it's a more than a surprise. It's a shock. And I can only explain it by vote splitting, but there was, I don't know that there was any vote splitting in actress at the uh, BAFTA, but at the, um, right. I, you know, I was thinking they were mad because Carrie Mulligan, but you know, we never saw Carrie Mulligan win anything really significant. Um, mm-hmm. And Critics choice. it seemed like it was maybe turned out to be a Twitter thing. Sorry, Twitter, but it might've just <laughs> been a, a Twitter. I, I, I can accept the idea of a, of a, of a, Split as long as I don't like to frame it in terms of what type of actresses or actors are splitting the vote. I right. do. I just. Have, I just think that there were there were a really tight cluster. I said this last time in the last podcast. I think there's a really tight cluster between only just a few, couple of percentage points difference between all four of the top five actresses. I think Vanessa Kirby was probably in last place as far as number of votes but i think that all of the other four were like within one percentage of each other and so it only takes 50 or 100 votes to push one yeah ahead of the other exactly and so and th- that is a split it's like a four-way split but it has nothing to do except for the fact except for the fact that they were all really really good exactly and that that's why and so that's why mm-hmm. the supporting kept matching is because those were easy choices right um, mm-hmm. There was, I mean, there was Glenn Close, but there wasn't a lot of competition in either category, particularly, not like mm-hmm. in actress and actor, which is, I think, the mo- among the most competitive we've had in years. My problem was, yeah. I locked on to Chadwick Boseman, and I did not mm-hmm. let that go, and I was convinced he was going to win because of Peter Finch and because of Heath Ledger, and it just, I think, Clarence, and you're right that if it had been in February, he would have won. It's just that they had time to think. I thought that the extended season might have hurt Nomadland, that that is the movie that would have lost steam. I didn't realize it would be the actors, but that's what it was. It was they had time to think about it. You know, they're like, I didn't really like Ma Rainey. I didn't really like these performances. I like these performances better. You know. A funny thing about um, uh, um, Dr. Rob and I laughed about the fact that we had so few respondents to his simulated ballot this year. And there's nothing we could do about it. I, I didn't want to promote it too much on Twitter because I don't like to have the the results diluted by people who we don't know whether they know. We don't know whether they know anything about the movies or not. I like to keep it more in-house or just among my own followers, but I don't like to have to be spread too much among out in the world and Twitter because you have a bunch of people who will vote who don't know what they're doing, right? And so that doesn't give you um, a valid reflection of what's happening with the voters. But the point is, the thing is, when he his results came in um, for the final tally, a few days ago, uh, Anthony Hopkins was so was almost had almost twice the number of votes as Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, there, well, among, there was among among our voters, among and you would think that the Wars Daily voters, they didn't really talk that much about Anthony Hopkins, but we have a lot of readers who don't comment. That's right. right. You know I that, know. Sasha. Oh yeah, because yeah. they write me letters all the time. But the thing is, is yeah. that. Um, Anthony Hopkins did start to even pick up steam on Twitter, like as the. Did you guys mm-hmm. notice that? Like everybody yep. was talking about the father all of a sudden. Oh, for sure, because well, well nobody had got, nobody had been able to see the movie, 
until just recently, right? Right. One right. Thing. Yeah. Slow release strategy. Same with Nomad Land. Nomad Land wasn't yeah. widely available until February. Right. Yeah, that's true. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so Nomad- I want to talk yeah. about. I want to. We have to keep it short, right? Because we have a half hour. Sure. So okay, let's, right. yeah, let's go into. Um, uh, no, it's okay. Let's go into the ceremony. Let's uh, let's go around and what you guys talk about what you thought about the new um, the new format, the temporary format. Um, <laughs> Mark, I was, you go I was, first. I was hoping it wasn't a new format and more of just a temporary format. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I know I, I was reading today a little bit about why they did it out of order and whatnot. They wanted to make it a little bit more unpredictable, but like, you know, uh, it's supposed to end with picture, like whatever you want to do with the other ones, I guess. But like, how do you not end on picture? The guy, I don't know. I didn't like that. And I didn't like the lack of clips. Um, I know that again, that's something I read that they said that they didn't use clips for everything because clips take up a lot of time and they'd rather use that time talking about, the art and the artist. So, oh God. Uh, you know, uh, it's hard to fault them too much because this was a crazy year to do it in, I'm sure right. for them. But so I'm not, I don't want to be too hard on them, but some of those choices were like, Ooh, yeah, it's a, it's a tough year. Right. So, but the problem is, is that they set up the reputation for this. or they, they advertised that this event would celebrate the movies. But then they did nothing. And they knew going into it that this cr- crop of Best Picture nominees were not popular films. They were not widely seen. Um, so, they, But they did nothing to insist that people actually go see them. Like you didn't get – like you got – like the, the clip that they used for Mank right. I don't think was very good. <laughs> like it's a great movie. There's There's hardly any bad scenes. But that was not – the one to say, hey, people go see this. That was that that clip that they took was, you know, I think just it wasn't it wasn't what I would have selected. But they did nothing to make to insist that people go to theaters and, and try to go back and see these movies and, and to enjoy and embrace them. They just they just did it. They just celebrated the people and not the movies themselves. If that makes any mm-hmm. sense at all. In a, in no, a, in really a really, no, in a really weird way, too, like because. Yeah. You know, I that really bothered me that I, I have, you know, you know, I've been saying for a long time that I think it's such a bubble and so insular. Um, it's so this tiny little click, you know, and they're asking people to sit there and watch it and they don't want to watch it. But unlike the old Oscars where all the celebrities were celebrities people loved and knew, right? Big stars, um, you know spending all that time watching Laura Dern like fawn all over some, you know, contender was just weird. Like it was just odd. It was like being, I don't know if you guys, well, you might've spent some time around actors, but if you spend time in Hollywood around actors, like that's how they talk all the time about everything (laughs) and Mm. everybody that they know. Like it is all this really effusive praise and, this is the best, you are the best actor I have ever seen in my life. And they talk in that same tone of voice. And for some reason, they thought that would be interesting for an audience to watch. Like, why? Why would that, they think mm-hmm. that? You know, it, it never in a million years. So what did I think worked? I thought I was in love with Tyler Perry's speech. That was amazing. Um, Yu mm-hmm. Zhang's speech was amazing. She was great. Any kind mm-hmm. of like funny natural moments like that where they and you know Vinterberg 
he gave an incredibly moving, long, beautiful speech, right? It was just unfortunately at the wrong time. Like it was right at the beginning. And so because it was long, people were thinking, oh no, this is going to be the whole show, isn't it? This is going to be the, and, and in the Oscars, they would mm. have played him off after, you know, and it would have been horrible because he was telling this incredibly moving, incredibly emotional story. But at the same time, if you're trying to invite an audience in and you're giving out the award for foreign language and you have no idea what this movie is, no idea right, who this person yeah. is. One of the least seen and, and one of the movies that will be, <laughs> will continue to be one of the least seen of all the winners. People, there will be billions and billions of people around the world will never see that movie. And they're, they're and watching so this long speech and they're thinking, what? You know, so I, I, you know, it was an awards for itself. It wasn't really an awards for people, which is fine. If that's what they want to do, then they should just move the whole thing to streaming and Netflix and have it just be that, you know, like an ASC show or something. The WGA can be that if they wanted to. But I think that would be a shame because I think as I was writing about the Oscars recently, I realized like there's no other, uh, there's nothing else like it in the world. Maybe China will have their own Oscars at some point that will be <laughs> more interesting and better than our Oscars. And, you know, there's the Caesar and there's the awards at Cannes, but there's nothing like the Oscars, you know. And so I think it's worth preserving um, if they can figure out how to fix it. So what did you think, Ryan, about it? I thought it got off to her. I was really excited to see like the first 10 minutes of it because what they had said that it was going to be more like a movie. Mm -hmm. It really did look very cinematic the way that, you know, she came into the train station and everything. I and about the train station, I really liked the setting. I like what they did with turning it into kind of a Copacabana kind of atmosphere. It's almost like, um, like a Golden Globes type atmosphere with everyone mm -hmm. at the, at the tables like that. Yeah. And so I thought they did a good job with the, with the way that it looked. And I liked the pacing. I, I like longer speeches, not as long as some of them were maybe, but 30 seconds or 45 seconds is not long enough for me like they do at the Oscars. So some t somewhere in between, if they could reach a happy medium of 90 seconds or something, I think would be a good amount of time for a speech maybe. But, but um, I, so I was happy with the longer speeches, but especially when, like you say, the winner made the best of it, like Daniel Kaluuya, Kaluuya or, or, um, um, well, she his, she was he was really the best, I think. He really gave the best with the most entertaining speech, I thought. Um, so I thought the pacing was going along really well until inexplicably, at the very end of the show, when people are most anxious to find out who the top three winners are, and everyone's a little bit exhausted and ready for the thing to be over, they did twenty minutes of that name that tune thing that I didn't <laughs> oh think my was God, there. that was it, it was not funny. And no. the parts that might have been funny, they had to bleep out because of language, which I would have loved to hear what they said. That it, that it we got to see everyone laughing at them cussing, but we didn't. The audience <laughs> didn't get to hear that, so we didn't enjoy it like they they did. And even though I I like to see that Glenn Close was a good sport and that she played along, it was all just so obviously staged. It was. It and had to be staged, right? Of course, yeah, right. And so um, that kind of made it a little did, it did, then you realize when when the entire 20 minutes has been leading up to a staged punchline and the punchline was not even that funny it's just like it's like that really bothered me that it went on so long i think yeah then that's... That, then yeah go ahead no go ahead sorry right no, I'm really done. Go ahead you bashing it but no it's fine <laughs> At the, there uh, I I, I cannot fathom why they, why they decided to 
put Best Picture. I know we know. Of course, no, we know why they did. No, it's just a terrible. That, I'm sorry, Steven yeah. Soderbergh. I love you, but no. Yeah. Yeah. Bad. What a mistake. What a blunder. As a with an unforced error, they call it in sports. That was in, bad. In, in the sports. <laughs> uh, it was just a really bad decision since it fell so flat. I mean, in and that so, case, I would have given the producers the winners. Like, just let them know who it is. Don't let them walk into a trap. Because they could have, if they knew that it was going to be um, Francis McDormand and... Um, and I hate that. I hate that it makes me feel bad when I think about them because I like both of them and I love Anthony mm -hmm. Hopkins. He's one of my favorite actors and I loved him in The Father. I didn't think that, you know, oh, it's, just a, it's, a, it's a hard thing. I, I don't want to diss them at all. It's just that they could have put their awards at the beginning and let people get over that. <laughs> Mm, yeah, and move on. Through, I, I don't understand yeah. why it has to be such a huge secret that not even the producers of the show can yeah, know what's going on. Exactly. I mean, this not like Soderbergh's going to leak it or something. At least tell the director of the show what's going on, so they can make, so they can have a contingency plan, so they know yeah. what to expect when the envelope is open, so that they're not surprised and left holding the wrong bag. You know. Right, and and poor Anthony Hopkins, like it wasn't his fault. Like he. He didn't know. He didn't think he would win. Nobody thought, I mean, other than the few who predicted him, you know, that he would win. And and uh, like Clarence said last time, which was very powerful to me, and both you guys said stuff that really changed the way that I thought about the awards, which was not that I ended up predicting Viola Davis because I didn't, but... Um, but Clarence, you said that, that you didn't think there was any way that they were going to bring Chadwick Boseman's widow down there only to see her lose um, that award for Chadwick in the final act like that, that you just didn't think that they would be that cruel. And I said, well, remember Glenn Close? And you said, yeah, but she's still alive. And I thought about that and I agreed. I, I just couldn't believe that they would do that. And and then, Mark, you said that um, given the fact that these are all equal weight performances, who do you want to see win? And you said Viola Davis. And, and it resonated with me because it's true. I did want to see her win, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. I thought Andrew Day was the best of the performances. I would have been happy with her win. I would even have been happy with Carrie Mulligan winning. Yep. Uh, but I really wanted to see Viola Davis win, I have to admit. So that those two things, I think, mattered in terms of a dramatic show like that, you know? Yep. But oh well, it didn't happen. <laughs> it's very, very anticlimactic uh, finish between, you know, the, the two lead actors. And I love Hopkins, but... Not having Bozeman win and then having the only one of the five, and it's nothing against McDormand, it's that she already has two. Because if she didn't have any, I bet you I would have been rooting for McDormand. If she only had one, right. I wouldn't mind as much. But the fact that she already had two, I don't want to. I don't want to see anybody. I mean, it took Meryl Streep forever to get to three, right? Yeah, and to have so, Viola Davis yeah. lose the SAG twice to a white actress, it's just a slap in the face. I know they didn't deliberately do it. They voted yeah, the way no. that they wanted to, but still. Lose the Oscar. <sighs> lose yeah, the Oscar. Lose the Oscar yeah. after winning mm -hmm. SAG. So we should do the questions, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Who who has them? I, I know the first I've, one from my friend Garrett asked if if you guys know when they started playing people off for the ceremony. I guess that would coincide with what the seventies. Like, when did ratings become part of the whole thing? Uh, Does anybody know? No idea. No yeah, idea. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure either. All I know that as long as I 
ever saw the Oscars on TV, did it, I remember them playing people off. Yeah, same. So that's decades, and then so, yeah. and I can never remember when they didn't because you they have to, otherwise, yeah, you know, people there would be some people yeah, who just was... would never shut up. And by the way, <laughs> that's why they didn't play people off for this show because they were trying to make it like a movie and not like a TV show. When when they're playing people off, mm -hmm. you're understanding that yes, this is a TV show. They have to be timed to the commercials. They have to move it along. And they wanted it so to bring them. It's an interesting idea. They wanted it to be more like a documentary. So it's like you know they're saying as much as they want. But but you know what that's like is like you know, the the annual Christmas dinner you know for the maintenance department. Like it's like they just kind of <laughs> <laughs> go on and on. And it's like a PBS telethon. <laughs> PBS telethon. You're just waiting for it to end, and you're drinking all your alcohol and everything. You're like, we got to go to the dinner again this year. <laughs> no, I can't go again. Yeah, we got to. We got to. So I'm um, okay. So what questions we got there? Um, well, we've kind of already answered this one, but uh, was Bozeman and Viola Davis uh, with was their defeat a result of institutionalized racism in the academy? Right. My friend um, Art wrote that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll take a stab at it. Um, I mean, it's hard to say it wasn't, honestly. It, you know, racism is a funny thing to deny. Um, the way I look at it is I'm not as quite as, you know, uh, condemning as so many people are. But what I do think is that I think that our preferences are often a reflection of who we are. And if, you know, you have a majority white Academy and majority white BAFTA, they're nine out of 10 times, most of the time going to be able to relate to white characters. And is that institutional racism? Is it tribalism? What is it? I don't think that they were deliberately trying to prevent them from winning awards. They weren't trying to keep them down or oppress them. But the fact that they identified with the other characters more is a function of being white i think it right. has to be right uh, although i will say that yeah. even though I, I i think that there are just like in any other group of people even even in the same family even at thanksgiving dinner there's a somebody at the table who's more of a racist than other people <laughs> in your own family i do think that there are definitely there are definitely people in the academy who probably are racist but i don't think the majority i don't think you can say that the academy is overall racist or that even all of the white people are obviously yeah. they are not they're obviously not and so yeah. i don't think and so i think that's why and i just for myself if i had a ballot i would have chosen carrie mulligan i would have marked yep. carrie, carrie i wanted carrie mulligan to win that doesn't mean that i'm a racist because i didn't vote for right. Viola davis right exactly right? that's 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 my point too and i and i think part of it and i have to be careful these you know this is a rough subject matter for a white male to be weighing in on of course but um you know two out of the four acting oscars went to people of color right right so yeah. so it's hard to then say they were racist with these two well how can they be racist there but not racist over here like i think no right, exactly just, i i don't think they are I, and i, no, think I don't could... think they, i mean no you can't look at either. the ceremony I mean, last night and say that yeah. was a racist institution. <laughs> you just can't. Yeah. I mean, no. I mean, look at and look at. Listen, the Academy. Um, how do I say this? So look at a lot of the presenters and hosts and pre-show hosts that ABC had on there, and I, you know, I'm, I'm sure ABC hired them, but I'm sure the Academy had some 
say in all that too. It was very diverse. And that was the theme, you know, they, to be honest, it was beat over the head. Mm-hmm. They beat us over the head with it this year a little bit, which too fine, much, yeah. you know, there was maybe, there's maybe a need for that. Um, you know, but they even, the humanitarian award going to Tyler Perry and, and whatnot. So like, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to, and they tried to for, you know, it might've been a stupid idea, but they tried to culminate the award around Chadwick Boseman's mm-hmm. win, right. To honor that. They, they mm-hmm. chose to honor that moment more than picture. I don't know. It's, it's frustrating because you know, no matter what the Academy does, it feels like they're never going to shed um, what is really, I think, a Hollywood issue more than an Oscars well, issue. Well, it's also a and, po- population issue. It's a demographics issue. Yeah, it's, it's the fact right. that the Academy is yeah. 80% white, that America's 60% white. And, you know, until the demographics really significantly change, I think you have to understand that a little bit and be a little forgiving of the idea that it's not going to be a 50-50 thing ever because the market is always going to favor the population majority when it comes yeah. to the kinds of movies that they're attracted to. Does that mean that they have to be all white movies all the time and all awards? All No, it doesn't. Absolutely not. But they've corrected it. I mean, they may have overcorrected a little bit. And I think, you know, <laughs> the acting that's, choices, I think, was, was a little bit of a backlash yeah. to that. But I think that they will do better. They will thrive better if they're a little less, you know, guilty, a little less needing to sort of, yeah. you know, use kind of black performers as like a shield to show how you know how inclusive they are i think they need to relax on that just a little bit yeah just i'm just i'm 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 and we have a long way to go the oscars and the academy have a long way to go we're not they're not there yet like you said sasha the 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 academy membership is still 84 percent white and even to get in line with just the a number of white people in America would have to be more like at least 70% white. So that's another 15% um, of people of color they need to, to bring in in order to, to even try to match the demographics of the country at large. And so they've made great strides. I mean, I, we are living in a time where there are more more incredible movies being made by people of color than ever before. And I'm, I'm loving it. You know, we've always, well, it's what we always wanted. Ten years ago, we would not have imagined a set of nominees like we had last night. It would have been out of our, it would have been beyond the realm of, of imagination because they're just, those movies weren't even being made, much less being awarded. Movies like that could not even be made, weren't even being made ten years ago. Right, right. So, so I just think uh, it's, it's, just, it's just not going to happen overnight. And I, I know that people want it to be now, but I'm just... I'm, I'm as happy as anyone as as what you guys said just a minute ago that that there were three of the acting uh, winners that were not white. That's great. I think. I'm going to push this forward because I do have to drop in like five yeah. minutes, but right. I encourage you guys to continue talking and answering these questions. I do want to get to one question though. So the next one is. Um, actually, the third question is what I want to get to, if you don't mind. But the next question is coming from Scott. Um, his question is. Which films do you believe would have made it into a year of five in the best picture category? And the second part of his question is, do you think Nomadland won on the first round? Oh, I, I never think a movie wins on the first round. I never think that any movie gets 50% of the Academy when the Academy has 
nominated eight different movies, why would suddenly all of the people who nominated their other movies turn their back on those movies in the first round and all vote for something else? Right. I think it always takes the second or third round before a movie can acquire 50% of the vote. I, I do think Nomadland was a number two and a number three pick. I do too. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I do too, but I um, also think that um, I don't think it won on the first round. It might have, but I don't think Best Picture was close this year. I really don't. I don't think there was any other movie uh, that was pushing to the top of the ballot. Um, maybe right. maybe The Father, like, <laughs> um, but it might have been that. But I think that it it had won so consistently throughout that I yeah. I think it is possible that it won on the first round. Honestly. It only it only lost SAG. I mean that's that's a near sweep. So yeah, I, I have no idea how that part works. So I I won't weigh in there. But I'll give you my five that I think would have got. And I think obviously No Land. I think Promising Young Woman, and I think Minari. Those three I feel are pretty safe. You guys are going to probably think I'm crazy, but I'm going to say The Father and Trials of Chicago 7 would have been the other two. Even though Chicago won nothing. That I'm makes sense to me. No, because there's always a movie like Trial of Chicago 7 that makes it in, like like Frost Nixon. or There's always that movie. That, 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 that it's it's a movie that, that appeals to a certain faction of the of the voters that they are going to always get behind. I agree with you. I think um, and the DGA in. determines best picture. So anything that the, oh, got yeah. on the DGA, then then that, that's your five. Yeah, that's a good point. I would have said No Bad Land, Chicago 7, Promising Young Woman, Mank, and The Father. So no Minari. Mm. No Minari. Hmm. Uh, well, I mean, I didn't say it was. It, that's not my ranking of the film. I'm just saying that's what I thought it would have been. When it I was think gone. that's possible. I mean, the BAFTA only has five, and then boy, were their picks weird this year. But yeah. um, but the father got in there. Um, so did Minari, though. It's possible Mank would have been left off. I don't know, but it did have ten nominations, so probably not. Yeah, um, follow the director when you want to find the five. That's the way to go. One um, more thing about winning on the first round. I will say that. Even if a movie doesn't win on the first round, it's all over but the counting most of the time. There's no, by the, Usually by the first round, a movie is so far ahead that there's no chance that any other movie is going to conceivably be able to catch up. But it just doesn't have the 50% yet. You've got to eliminate some of the down-ballot movies in order to reach that 50%. Just like on Rob's ballot, um, Nomadland in the first round had 81 votes way, way ahead of the second place movie, but it needed 160 in order to get, to reach 50%. And so it had to wait for some other movies to be eliminated before it could gather up or accumulate those that entire 50%. But it was inevitable that it would. There was no way that any other movie would ever catch up. So it's all over by, by round one, but they still have to go through the process of counting in order to reach 50% is what my theory is. Uh, Nomad won. Uh, Nomadland won on the sixth round in Rob's Valley. It took six six rounds for enough movies to be eliminated for for it to reach fifty percent. Um, yeah. Okay. So, um, who? So you got to go, Clarence. Um. Yeah. Oh shoot! I didn't even. I had forgotten that it was a hard out for you. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I, I, just, I have to okay. record the other podcast. Uh, let me ask this one last question, and then I okay. totally encourage you guys to continue. And and actually, uh, I do want to give a plug to um, readers of the site. We are going to do, I think this is the first time we've ever done this, we're going to do an Oscar Squad 
for 2022 Oscar ceremony later on this week. So look for that to post on Friday. This is our wild guess as to what the shortest Oscar season ever is likely to give us because the Oscars oh are February 27th, 2022, <laughs> unless they move it. Um, but uh, the question is, what did you love about the 2020 Oscar season? Those moments when it makes you so happy to do what you do. And this is coming from a huge fan of the podcast, uh, Rick Friel. And I want to answer this and then I'll drop. Um, what I loved about the 2020 Oscar season is talking to as many craft members of the Mank team that I did, including the incredibly talented and Oscar-worthy editor, Kurt Baxter. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Great. <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. My answer would be also involve Mank because I decided at the very last minute with the ballots were already in voters' hands when I decided that I would do my my epic uh, Mank tribute. And I decided that I was not going to just not only go for best production design, but I was going to tie production design and cinematography together in the same box and bow, put a bow on them and, and try to sell the argument that they that that they worked in unison with each other to create a certain ambiance for the movie, for a certain a certain aesthetic, a noir aesthetic. And and so I was really pleased what it boils down to, I was really pleased that I got both of those right. That mm -hmm. the that the two movies that yeah. the two categories that I wrote about were the ones that Mank won. I'm Same. happy about that. So with that, I'm going to drop, but I do encourage you guys to continue, of course, and uh, and answer the rest of these great questions. But thank you um, for letting me join this, and uh, thank you for covering this season with me, and I look forward to our next time getting together. Excellent. Great. Thank you, Clarence. All right. Goodbye, all. All righty. Bye-bye. So um, who has the questions? I guess I should go and... I'd I have them if you want. All righty. Do you, wanna, do you guys want to continue? How much do you want to go another half hour and then be done, or...? Yeah, yeah, we'll just see, and uh, whenever, until we run out of steam. Uh, Joey Moser asked, uh, is Netflix's problem that they have too many movies? Is it Best Picture ADD, and then they have to settle for what sticks to the wall? Do you think they need to be more laser-focused to secure a win for picture? Hmm. I, I think, I'll start, I think that... Um, <clears throat> I think that there's a Netflix stigma still. And I think that um, for whatever reason, I've, I've kind of chalked it up. And this is weird coming from me, I know. But I've chalked it up a little bit to xenophobia. Like, I think there's just something about Ted Sarandos that weirds people out a little bit. Because they don't give the same sort of scrutiny to other streaming platforms. It's only Netflix. I could be wrong. I could be paranoid. But I feel like... Uh, they're just not letting him in and they're resentful of him. But I will say that I do remember, I've been doing this long enough to remember when Harvey Weinstein, Voldemort, AKA, um, <laughs> when he was starting out, I mean, when he was just starting out with his brother in Miramax and, and it was really hard for them to break in to the Oscar game. And they got a lot of heat for it, believe it or not, because the Oscars were dominated by the five, the, you know, what a famous director I know calls the five families, which is, you know, Warner Brothers, Paramount, Fox, you know, Sony, the big studios. And they didn't want to let Paramount or uh, Miramax in. And they didn't want to let independence in. And I remember exactly the year when it finally happened when they transitioned, and that was 1996. And they called that the year of the independence. And from then on, it was broken up. And, and that's why the big studios got little independent arms like Fox Searchlight, like Sony Pictures Classics, like Focus Features to compete with Miramax because Miramax was dominating the Oscars. 
And they did dominate the Oscars all the way through to whatever their last movie was, Lion, I guess, and as the Weinstein Co. But so Netflix is getting a hard time and, and it will continue to until people don't want this evolution to happen. But it's going to happen regardless. Um, they don't want what we're seeing right now to be the reality, to be the new normal. But it's, it's a function of what kinds of movies are getting made in Hollywood. It's a function of the corporatizing of America in general to get rid of mom and pop stores and condense everything to uh, maybe five corporations, you know, everything, big corporations own everything, you know. Um, and so just like a fast food cluster on the interstate, just like any mini mall you see in any town in this country, you'll see the same stores because people identify with the brands. And that's what movies are becoming like. Movies are becoming like brands. The superhero movies that people pay to see or like people who go out to shop at, you know, Target or Old Navy or, you know, and they, they, they look for the brand. And so that's kind of what's happened to movies. It's happened all over the country in every way. So Netflix is kind of the answer to that. It's the adaptation. It's showing that there can be another avenue for the kinds of movies that people still want to see and want to watch from the comfort of their own home. And as we saw from this year, the pandemic really changed that. So what's it going to take for the... They're going to have to make um, an offer that the Academy can't refuse. And that's going to be really hard. They're going to have to do it, try to do it. Um, one of the problems Netflix has, sorry to just go on and on, is that... They're giving their filmmakers too much free reign, in my opinion. They shouldn't say, here's a whole bunch of money, make whatever you want. That doesn't work. It doesn't make great movies. You should say, here's, this is the bottom line. You can't go over this budget. And you have to meet these numbers when you hit, because otherwise, you know, you won't do well. So they have to give them some constraints. And then under that kind of system, movies and filmmakers will thrive more than if you just say, here, go make a three-hour movie nobody can sit through, you know? So I think Netflix can look at that and, and make that decision. I don't think artists should be ever given free reign, especially filmmakers and directors. David Fincher is a good director who can self-police and is very disciplined, and that's why he's a good fit for them. But Martin Scorsese is not, you know? So... They have, in my opinion, if they want to win an Oscar, they're going to have to be a lot more disciplined with the kind of movies that they make. I, I kind of, I kind of see your point about that. I'm not, I don't know, I don't have a, a really firm opinion on it. I like to see filmmakers given as much carte blanche as they deserve, but I, I do agree with you that they, some of them, um, misuse that freedom. And there's, and I think, I mean, I remember a review that Pauline Kael did of 1900, poor Berdolucci just went all out. And she, she said it was that there are directors who reach a certain point in their careers when they are given a blank check and they end up with creating these magnificent follies. She called them their, they were follies like a, like a gazebo by out in the field that nobody ever goes to, but it looks amazing. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, and she said that they're they they're stunning movies, but they they are almost too, too much. There's too much to wrap your head around, and, and and I think that that's what Scorsese's problem was, maybe with the Irishman. And it may I hope that it's not his problem with Killers of the Flower Moon that Apple is giving him another two hundred million dollars to do, right? I mean I do, but uh, I mean I'm curious to find out. But I think that more than more than whether they need to exert some discipline on their filmmakers, which I agree I did, would be a good idea. 
I think that a lot there's probably some resentment in Hollywood that that Netflix Netflix is able to lavish that amount of money that they feel feel like that maybe it's not a fair playing field when Netflix can spend that much money on whatever they want and other studios are not able to, they feel like that other filmmakers don't have the same advantage. And so in a way it works against Netflix um, largesse and against their, their, their profligate spending because it makes them look like they're just big spenders and they're trying to buy an Oscar. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I, what, what was, and then can I go back and say, and who, yeah. when you said that, um, how do you pronounce his last name? Sarandos? Ted Sarandos? Mm-hmm. Is that his name? Yeah. What, did you say xenophobia? I don't. Uh, I don't understand. I mean, I. I, I, I uh, what, uh, what is it that they don't like about him? I guess. I think they I'm just asking. see him as an outsider with a weird name. Like I think there's something okay. about him that they just see as like not an insider. I don't know. I've always just had okay. that weird feeling that there's that they see him as this kind of exotic outsider infiltrating Hollywood. I know it seems ridiculous, but. No, I don't think it's ridiculous at all. You know, I've said like, before, why do they you know, fixate for, on him? You know, why are they always fixated mm-hmm. on him and his name and everything? You know, I it makes good sense. You know, back in the nineteen twenties and thirties, Columbia Pictures was Poverty Row. They made the really low budget movies, and they and they weren't even in the Oscar game at all in the first ten years of the Oscars. It took um, Capra to come along and do it. Happened one night to put Columbia on the map of the Oscars, and then they they were consistent Oscar players for the next fifty years until what happened in nineteen what was it nineteen eighty nine or so. Sony came in and bought Columbia. And since then, Columbia has not had a single Oscar nomination in all that time, in like 30 exactly. years. That was That's the what last I mean. time Columbia like... had, a, had an Oscar nomination wow. with Sony, what was uh, The Last Emperor. And I'm not saying that it's because there was a resentment that the Japanese came in and bought a, uh, uh, an American studio, but it's a, a strange coincidence. Yeah. So um, yeah. I agree. Uh, Mark, is there another question or did you want to answer yeah. that one? No? Okay. Um, the only thing I would add is I have no idea what it's going to take for Netflix to win. If they couldn't win in a pandemic year where we were all, uh, you know, at the mercy of whatever new programming they gave us, I don't know. I don't know yeah. what it takes. No, so. that's true. And I agree. Same way I feel. I mean, if anything, yeah. Netflix deserves a medal. Yeah. You know, right? right. I mean, they deserve. Right. We, they were heroes this year. They yep. they kept people from going crazy because yep. they gave us wonderful things to watch. Yeah, they did. Uh, all right, so the next one we kind of already addressed from Oscar So Woof. Uh, they asked if we if we really thought that the best actor was um, last in anticipation of a Bozeman win. Um, he doesn't think that the Academy uh, chose the order of awards based on speculative winners, but they have basically come out and said that that was the case. They were, um, yeah, that they were pleased even with the fact that it didn't work out the way they wanted because people were talking about the show. Yeah, I know. I saw that too. Like, what? Do you want to go again? Another yeah. question. So the next one was from Archily. I'm not sure how you say that. Archily. Uh, what will it take for David Fincher to win director or picture? Oh. <laughs> um, first of all, uh, David right. Fincher does not want to win best <laughs> picture, best director. Let's just get that out of the way right away. It's not, he, it's not important to him to win it. I, he, he, he wouldn't mind winning it, I'm sure. But I get the feeling that he really doesn't care one way or the other, where he, whether he wins or not. He's very much the Francis, Francis McDormand of directors. 
You know, he, he's making movies because exactly. he loves to make movies. He's right. making the movies he, he loves to make. He's making movies, and his re- entire reward is the making of the movie. Exactly. Yeah. And he also, I think, in a funny way, uh, is I also think he's kind of like... Um, the kinds of movies he likes to make are movies that make you uncomfortable. Like he's, he said that in a lot of interviews and the Academy voters, they don't reward movies like that. I can only think of a few that have won in the past where they made you uncomfortable. And even then they didn't really like, well, no country for old men is a pretty good example of what I imagine that when they finally do award David Fincher, it'll be something like that. It'll be no, no country for old men or undeniable. Yeah, a departed yeah. kind of winner where they just really love the movie, even if it isn't your Academy type of movie, you know. The thing about Fincher in the past, there have been, when he, when, he try, when he makes a movie that does really well at the Oscars and gets a lot of nominations, like Benjamin Button or Mank, uh, some people are disappointed because it's not the kind of Fincher movies that, that they want. It's not the kind of Fincher movie that they exactly. love the most. Yeah. He's, he's branching out and doing something different. And those movies, because of their technical expertise across the board and all the branches, they rack up a lot of nominations. And so they do really well on the Oscar nomination morning, but then, but for, but they're just not the kind of movie that people associate with him. So I think that what he has in the works next, his next movie in the pipeline the killer about a hitman who has a crisis of conscience about whether he wants to be a, a hitman or not, which is based on a really extravagantly beautiful graphic novel that were like five volumes of graphic novels with just series after series of just beautiful graphics and storylines. Uh, he's probably only going to, going to be adapting the first one or two of those for the movie, but it's a, it'll be in a way when Scorsese went back after branching out and doing um, other kinds of movies when he came back into The Departed and he was back to his roots and made another gangster movie and everyone was like, yeah, he's back. And I think that may, may happen with Fincher after, him, after, after the movies that he's done that have been not so hardcore, bleak, dark, um, um, crime-related movies that when he gives them another one, it may be, then the next 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 time at bat maybe his time is what i'm thinking yeah i mean they they uh i you know it, it the, the thing about the academy is if you take away twitter and all the bullshit that surrounds twitter and the people that feed off of twitter if you just take all that away because so much of that is influences how voter you know how we shape perception of movies and if you just mm. take that away and, and david fincher's been building up a lot of goodwill and just like Martin Scorsese did, just like the Coens did, and just like Catherine Bigelow did, and sooner or later, you know, he'll be able to cash that check. And so, mm-hmm. yes, I do think David Fincher will, despite the fact that he probably doesn't want to, he'd probably love to join Hitchcock and Kubrick and be like the greatest director who never won an Oscar. But I do think that he will, I do predict that he does win a Best Director um, Oscar, and I hope I'm around to see it. And I really, I do, I do too, of course. And I really, I have really high hopes and really great expectations for this next movie, The Killer. And anyone who wants to get a preview of what that's like, I mean, you can you can go on Amazon or eBay and and find it back and find secondhand copies of the graphic novel, mm. and so you'll see what he's doing. It's amazing. It's going to look yeah. amazing, and the story is going to be amazing. And I was going to say something else, but I forgot. Oh, I, I, the. I think when I, when I was talking about Scorsese, I meant that he branched out into things like the Age of Innocence and uh, his um, 
Last Temptation of Christ. Maybe. Last Temptation and Silence and movies like that, you know, yeah. that were that were more religious and and, and not, not not gangster. <laughs> yeah, you exactly right. And again, that's Hugo. the same situation. Hugo was 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 technically brilliant across the board. Yeah. And they got a lot of nominations. And I think it ended up and it won like five Oscars. I think Hugo did. But you know, he he one. really wanted to he definitely wanted to win an Oscar. You know, like oh, yeah. yes. Um yeah. he he absolutely uh Martin Scorsese really did and and you know the Coens didn't really care. So I feel like that's how right. David Fincher's trajectory. But it's a tall order. Like, you know, it's he's a prickly guy. And so I don't you know, you have to be kind of although the Coens weren't. So you don't have to be warm fuzzy. Um but no, he's such a great filmmaker. I do believe that if they have any, you know, sense in their body, they will they will up award him sooner rather than later. They should have done it this year, but it wasn't going to happen. I love so. loved it last night when when Eric Messerschmidt and um, Donald um, Burke, I forget his middle name, I forget Donald's middle name, James, maybe Donald James Burke. Um, when they won, they cut to. David Fincher and his uh, wife and producer, Sean Chafin, and they were just glowing like doting parents. I know, it was so you know? cute. They just looked so, <laughs> it was adorable, wasn't it? They loved it. So it was like, oh, yeah. my, my son has won an Oscar. They were so happy <laughs> about that. Uh, you could I know, tell. It was it lovely. Was, it was so lovely. I mean, because it's nice because, you know, Citizen Kane didn't win and it has arguably the most famous and revered cinematography in any yeah. film of all time. It's certainly mm -hmm. in the top 10, right? Yeah. yeah uh -huh. Um. So, okay, so what's the next question? So the last question that I have on here, at least, is from Leon Murray. Uh, he asked, how are we feeling about Best Actress? How do you think the industry and the hive mind feels? How bad of an opportunity miss do you think it will feel in years to come? And how bad would you kill to see the voting tally? I know Ryan's always talking about how he wishes that. And I can think of several people I would kill to see that, <laughs> this out. I mean, I could name them. <laughs> I wish just once you could see it because I know that you're always saying, like, it probably only missed by five votes. It probably only missed by yeah, 10 Yeah, you know, that's you know, always yeah. my favorite theory because I don't like <laughs> to think that the entire Academy turned against my favorite or that they were all in, that 95% yeah. of the Academy all voted for the same winner i just don't like to think that way so i always like to think that it was like a presidential election where they win by half a percentage point or something yeah i know it's true um uh how am i feeling about best actress um i i feel like people are just numb honestly and i feel like people could get outraged about it if they wanted to but they don't really know how because so many people feel like Carrie Mulligan should have won. And, you know, it's not like it was between Viola Davis and Frances McDormand. There were a lot of mm. votes and yeah. sentimentality split up all over the place. And unfortunately, when I heard that there were two black actresses in the running, you know, my voice was telling me that's not No, neither of them are going to win because they're going to cancel each other out. And I didn't want to think that because it sounds like, oh, you're just classifying them because they're black. But no, it isn't that. It's more like if you have an urgency to vote for someone to make history, then you're going to be conflicted about which person you want to take to take to through to history. Now, it seems like Viola Davis would be the right one, but Andrew Day is going to siphon just enough votes that it's going to yeah. hurt her, um, her chances. And I, I wish I had been a little more 
I, I still, I still wouldn't have picked McDormand. I still would have yeah, picked no. Carrie Mulligan. Yeah. You know? Right. Exactly. That's like you had to go to me. You had to go four deep to land on. And this is, I'm wrong, obviously. <laughs> but with, but with my logic, where I was, where I wanted to go with it, you know. And this is why I mentioned earlier. I don't really regret any of my misses. The only one that kind of like I probably should have seen coming maybe was the father for screenplay. But God. If you have a winning picture and director, it's hard not to have a winning screenplay. I don't no, know. No, I know. And I'm really bummed out that I didn't go ahead and just do that. I should have. Yeah. I, knew, I had a feeling that it was going to go that way. Just because I didn't think Nomadland was going to win screenplay, but then I also thought it was going to win screenplay. Like, I just kept going back and forth on it. How how did you do mm. it end up doing? Like, I only got 16 right. I think I got 17. I know Clarence beat me by one. I think he had 18. Yeah, and Kyle. I don't know my 19. I don't know my tally, but I know I I know the things that I didn't do yeah. really I didn't do well in the shorts, and which always kills me. I, I think I, although I might this year I've gotten two of them right, but yeah, I, I did have you. the father for best screenplay. I did nice. have the father down for best adaptive screenplay. So yeah, I got that right. I think Clarence did too. And if if Sasha I, got the uh, cinematography correct. And Ryan too. Was, and I yeah. and I did too. I had yeah, the cinematography okay. down. And and, quite, and so, several other AD people I noticed had it also. Um, so, yeah, I, I wish I had done that, too, but I couldn't convince myself that it would just win the loan. But at least if I had done that, I would have had one right more. And then I'd only have 17. I would have tied with Mark, but we still wouldn't have won the contest. <laughs> so it's 16, 17. It's like the same score. At that I point, wanted the perfect 23 this I year. know. Listen, I don't know that there's ever an Oscar that I'm going to walk away from feeling that great about unless a my movie wins or b i hit the click the perfect sheet like i mean I, I'll, I'll always like second guess whichever one or i one i one or two i miss even if i had a great score so no exactly and the thing is is to be to get it right it has to be almost accidental because there's no skill yeah. we know yeah. by now there's no skill involved like you have to be able yeah. to get the consensus right but also know when to deviate from it yeah right so no one was going to be able my to problem. I deviate. I deviate in really wild, <laughs> long shot ways. Like I had Minari for best picture and best score. Yeah. I, I, I threw soul under the bus from Minari for best score. <laughs> and so that's so stupid, right? I mean, because I don't care. But if I, if I'd only, I would have, I might've had 16 or 15 at least yeah. if I had, if I had not, if I had not thrown out the most obvious things that were surefire surefire locks you know but, but see it doesn't that. matter if you get 16 or even 17 which is 17 is a really good score but because when other people get 19 and 20 you know they're, oh, they're always no. going to be on top of you yeah but, you have to um, figure out you have to take some risks and you have to figure out it's almost like probability of which one has the best chance of upsetting and take that upset because you can't you can't just take all the favorites every year because if you do, you'll end up with a high score, but you won't end up with the high score. No, and and you would have had to know that that uh, Judas and the Black Messiah was going to win best song. Like, yeah. Oh my God, that one. Forget it. I had a tiny inkling that it would it would show up somewhere, but I I sort of thought maybe cinematography or you know I did think it had it was going to show something somewhere because I know it was popular. But um, but I didn't. I would never have guessed song. Although song was a crapshoot. Like who would have? If I hadn't picked the one I picked, yep. I would have picked Diane Warren probably. Oh yeah. And if I didn't pick Diane Warren, I would have picked Husevik. Yeah, Husevik. That right. That was what... the best of the five. I yeah. Thought. So so yeah. I mean that's that's why I'm saying like usually I regret. I, I have that like uh, hindsight 
factor the next day and it's miserable but this year i didn't at least i didn't have that because the ones i missed were things i would i was never gonna predict yeah no that's Mm -hmm. good i only did that with one category other than screenplay and actor which was um (laughs) live action short which you told me that two distant stranger was gonna i knew it was gonna win i knew it was so the consensus pick i couldn't lose but I didn't follow that. I went oh a different way. But yeah, but I mean that's but look that if you did see that's what you kind of have to do, right? Because who yeah. saw Colette winning? Well, you know, we kind of did, didn't I mean, we? We saw I, Colette. and I and again that was the category I said I thought <laughs> any of the five could win and I wouldn't be surprised. But yeah. I I was like I jumped out of my seat a little bit when Colette won because I loved I loved that one. But it's great. Um, yeah, I mean I loved all of them though. So. They're all really anyway. good. That, yeah, were, that was a tough category, but I was a little yeah. annoyed because Kyle Buchanan's reasoning was right. He said it's a Holocaust movie, but I kind of feel like they've moved out of that phase, you know, of the Holocaust movies always winning, you know? Yeah, so, they've, they've, they've kind think of moved. so too, yeah. yeah. It may be a generational thing in a way too, is it yeah. because of the makeup of the... It's just so it's become something that's distant enough now that people are, are not so... Well, I don't even want to say. I don't want to finish the sentence. But people feel different. People don't feel as strongly about it, maybe as they used to. As right, a, as, and, and, and which is which means that they should. They don't feel as strongly about it as they should. Is what I. Here's the reasoning. Add. Here's the reasoning that I should have remembered, and I'll remember it next time. Since they don't have to be tested to watch all five movies, the popular movies like Two Distant Strangers and um, If Anything Happens, I Love You, which is produced by Laura Dern. Yeah. Those two movies were easy for these Hollywood people to get support. Um, and so, but the See, but, one category where they wouldn't do that, yeah. where they wouldn't be able to do that is Doc Short. So we have to figure that the only people who are voting, just remember this for next time, Mark, remember it, unless there's a really popular one in there. The only people that are voting on that are going to be people who are in that category who are in that and they're going to have watched all five of them so i always i felt like if they had watched all five they would have picked colette see that's where i i used exactly what you just said for all three because that concerto is a conversation was ava duvernay so i figured i figured she would have the same kind of pull that's uh, that's that's why i ended up going with that one but you know uh Mm -hmm. that was my reasoning too yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, Colette is fantastic, but so is Hunger Ward. And so is oh, Concerto. Concerto's great. Oh, I loved Concerto. Me I too. That was one of my most enjoyable cinematic yeah. moments of the whole year. <clears throat> was yeah. watching that movie. It makes you feel so warm and full of love. Yeah. And these Chris Bowers looking right into the screen. It's just, it. you know, it, it's, it's great. I would have voted for that a million times over that one. But Colette is great too. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking and great. It's heartbreaking and, you know, it's very Academy-like. And it's the real yeah. person and she's a survivor of the Holocaust. So what are you going to do, you know? But um, uh, Back to the question real quickly about how, how would, do we think that the uh, best actress for Frances McDormand is going to age? I'm wondering how it's going to look in December when she's nominated two more times for the French, <laughs> the French dispatch and Macbeth of paying lady Macbeth before the end of the yeah, year. She's in, she's going to, she could get two more nominations. And I then hope what she wins. Do? I hope she wins for Macbeth because I just want them to be like, she, mm. she has four Oscars. <laughs> I think they deserve that. Right. 
Um, no, I know. At this point, that's, I feel uh, the same way. Yeah. I just don't feel like she, yeah, she didn't, to me, she didn't earn it for this movie. She earned it as a producer, but not as an actress. And, and I'll, that's my, my final take on that. To get, um, to get to the third one, yeah, I don't know that she earned a third. But no. I, I do, I would say, and you guys are going to hate me for this, but, and I'm not that big a fan of No Man Land, but I think it's her best of the three. As much as I like Jern Fargo, I, I think this was her best performance of the three. Hmm, interesting. Hmm. Not and I'm not hate. even that big a fan of No Man Land. I wouldn't like, I don't hate know. you for that. I think this is... What's that? I wouldn't hate you for that. Okay. Well, I know <laughs> you, love Far- you love Fargo, though. Yeah, no, I, I just disagree <laughs> with that. I think she's great in all three of them, but um, yeah. but I, yeah. I think I love her. And you know, she Fargo. had very little screen time in Fargo, too. I think I read that she only had 26 minutes of yeah. screen time in Fargo, which yeah. is hard to believe because yeah. she, when you think of that movie, you only think of the scenes that she was in, but that had, movie had such a sprawling cast and and so many tangled plot lines going on that there was just a lot going on when she wasn't on in on camera and if i could have gotten over myself which is really hard for me to do it's really (laughs) hard for me to get over myself but if i had done that and really thought about this and not been so i am certain this is going to happen i would have remembered that francis mcdormand shows her entire full frontal nudity in, in nomadland she shits in a bucket like these are things that they respect when actresses do, especially at her age. She showed her whole naked body in her 60s. You know, like that, that is a big thing, a big deal. So if I had thought about it that way, I might have found my way around to predicting her just for that alone, just for being naked in the creek. Whatever she was. <laughs> Sorry. All right. I got to read one more question from my friend. Okay. 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 He said, I really enjoy your Oscar coverage over the years. It's just fantastic. Thank you. I've just been so upset today for some reason about last night, more angry than usual. It just It's just been a crazy that they set the thing up and, let, and the letdown over it all. It feels like what, did, what they did to Bozeman enshrined their own racism or something. In fact, that's what a friend of mine told me today who isn't plugged in like we are to the ceremony. It's not really a question. It's just a comment for people who feel bad. And I will say that my friend, you guys know Michael. Michael Mm -hmm. had been predicting Chadwick Boseman and uh, Viola Davis for months now and was really happy that they were going to win and thought that they were going to win. And then, you know, he was watching the Oscars with me yesterday and he was like, you know, this is interesting, the blackest Oscars ever. And he was kind of shocked by that. But then when they didn't win... Like he was visibly upset, and he's like, "That those are the worst Oscars I've ever seen." Like he said that just before. Is this question from Michael? Michael? No, this it, isn't the question. Michael, oh, I'm just telling the story oh, about how Michael okay, reacted. Yeah, I, yeah, okay, yeah, so, interesting. Yeah, I know yeah. how Michael he take, take, takes these things. He's really. It seems like he's aloof at times, above it all, but he can get really emotional at, attachments to certain to certain movies and nominees. Yeah, and I think I that he. Um, yeah. I think that there. It's one thing to ask people not to be lecturing and annoying, but to ask white people how they feel, you know, but I think that there's a whole different experience for people who, you know, who aren't white, who are watching that, hoping that he would pull it out or Viola Davis would or something. And what that must feel like, you know, must feel like just a terrible thing, a sunken, awful thing to see go down. So we have to respect that, you know. Absolutely. I understand it completely. And I felt, even though I was not a, upset for the same reasons i i felt also like it's probably the it's the worst oscar 
ceremony that I can in my living memory that I've yeah, ever saw bad. in my life. And and it's, I it's and, up there it, with and it was it was fine. It, yeah, it was <laughs> yeah. fine for me right up until the end right, that was another one. But it was fine until like the last forty five minutes and then it was just like one disappointment and one eye rolling moment after another. Yeah. I will say much I do hope that I mean I don't hope I don't because I don't expect I don't know what how people are gonna what we're gonna be talking about six months from now, but I think we may be able to put the idea to rest that the academy voters give a shit what people think about them when they're when they've got their ballot yes. or that they give or that they care what Twitter's gonna say the next day because obviously they 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 did what they wanted to do they voted for who they wanted to vote That's for right. and that was that. That was that, just like broke back and, and crash. It was the same type of thing, you know. Yeah. It, they, they, that we, we, you know, there was a lot more uproar over that because there were only two, two movies. But, you know, mm. and this year was a lot more wide open than that year. There really was a front runner that was taken down by a spoiler, and this year there wasn't really. I mean, that seemed like there was, but there was competition. You know, mm. I just, you know, what annoys me, and this is the last thing we'll say, and then we have to say goodnight because it's a half hour, but um. The thing that annoys me the most is that um, the BAFTA decided. Like, it just bugs me that they did, that that they skipped over the Globe and the SAG, and they showed how important the BAFTA was, and that just bothers me. It shouldn't, but it does. Like, it, it just gnaws. And not because I don't like BAFTA or anything, but just from yeah. a stats perspective. Like, I just don't mm-hmm. think... We, we, I, I was up until, like, 3 o'clock in the morning last night, um diving into the comments and participating some and also trying to trying to to settle the fight down that was just going way out of control we had a reader and and i like this person a lot i won't even mention the name the the listeners will know who i'm talking about and if the person i'm talking about is listening uh, he or she will know too i like this person a lot she's been around for years as long as i have and but she was really wanted Carrie Mulligan to win, and she really blames BAFTA for not even nominating Carrie Mulligan oh, for putting a nail in the coffin. You know, and whether or not that's true, I don't. I do think that there's something a little bit to it that that by by denying her even a nomination, by bringing this jury in and trying to trying to stack the deck with the nominations, yeah, that was meant that they cool. had. That was a, such a mistake. And the BAFTA voters ignored all that. They ignored the jury selections of the nominees and went their own way, which I think in a way is good that they did that. But the, and the, but the collateral damage for that was that Carrie Mulligan, who may have actually won if she had been nominated. By well, I mean, BAFTA. it did win Best British Film. Yeah. Exactly, right? So, yeah. you know, and a screenplay. Mm-hmm. So it, it definitely, and she was also nominated, she was also in The Dig, and she could have been nominated for that. So she was coming into the BAFTA. They loved the dig and they loved promising a right. woman. So there's a very mm. good chance she would have won. And mm. as we know, they build momentum on wins. And um, so I guess we'll never know. But um, so, but I'm, but I'm satisfied if, if blaming the BAFTA for the mess. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm I angry. Think, at I, the... think if, I think if anything, I think BAFTA. Why BAFTA might have been more influential this year is the fact that it was so long. Right. You know, it was a long time ago, it feels like now, that the Globes took place. Yes, good point. And SAG. And right. then BAFTA was last in the middle of when they were voting, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, so you're right. It, it probably it probably impacted more for 
placement than it did. Absolutely else. right. Mm-hmm. That's a good and the, point. And the ba- and the overlap between BAFTA voters and Academy members yeah. is very, yeah, is really too. strong. And the BAFTA voters <laughs> face it. You know, I don't. There's just no other way to put it. They're not famous for rewarding black actors. They're they're infamous for not. Oh God, oh, what a mess. I don't think I was hard enough on them, even though I was very hard on them in what I wrote. But I just want to say, as we close out, I just want to give a like a sappy goodbye to you guys and. Um, I'm going to do to the, to the listeners of this, I'm going to do a standalone podcast, uh, just for the, you know, for the site, just my own, uh, kind of ruminations on this year. I think if you're interested, I will definitely post that. Um, so I can say a proper goodbye, but I'd just like to say to you guys both, um, thank you so much for participating, for doing such great work and for being open-minded and tolerant and anybody else who might be listening. And of course, Clarence and the rest of the awards daily staff too deal with me this year was tough and uh and you know you came through like you know good and loyal friends and and i really do appreciate that it's just been a horrible year that tested i think every aspect of my own personal psyche and personality and belief system and everything and i've come out of it okay kind of pieced back together but i feel like the thing that stands out to me is that you know the people who are kind to you at your worst those are the ones that you want to stick with you know, those are the ones you want to invest in and, and uh, trust and listen to. And so I just wanted to thank you and to thank all the, the loyal readers who've been um, listening and, and writing me letters, of, you know, about the podcast that you like. And, you know, just thank you. I can't say anything um, else. Except- my, it's my pleasure. I mean, I, I can't have I wouldn't have it any other way. I would just say never, ever change. <laughs> we love you. We love you just the way you are. Oh, you're sweet. Well, this has been... So I guess our next podcast, Ryan, we have to do the thing where we get the 2022 candidates, you know, the, the contenders. We'll put mm. up our poll. Oh, That'll be wait. fun. I've always liked doing that. I'm going to dig into and, that and, tomorrow. I think. Yeah, and let's yeah. make that our next podcast and we'll talk about our... We want to do like yeah. a preliminary mark or like a preliminary list of what we think might yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, usually do, I usually do one, uh, you know, I don't know if I post it usually, but I usually started the predictions like right away because it's the easiest way <laughs> and it's kind of like that with ex-girlfriends when i was younger too is the <laughs> easiest way to get over the the last one is to get a new one so Aww. the Back easiest the way back. to close the door on 2020 is <laughs> boom start your start a new yeah let's do it um okay Never, ever too soon all right guys you have a good night and thanks again and better days ahead That's all right good. absolutely okay. okay good night good night yep.